0: discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. So just before this episode
1: plays, I want to let you know of something really cool that we finally started, which is Patreon-specific episodes. If you don't know about our Patreon, it's basically the way that you can subscribe to this podcast in a way that supports us financially. And we have different perks and reward levels for different amounts that you might choose to donate. We really appreciate any financial support that comes to us, and we're working on some some very special things for our patrons. And what we released just a few weeks ago is the first of our Patreon-specific episodes, which means that only patrons have access to them. Our first one is on our personalities, and what I'm going to play for you now just before this episode starts is a short clip from that episode. If you want to know more about Patreon or look into uh, supporting us that way, all of the money goes right back into this podcast and helping keep the lights on. Uh, But it's www.patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. Thank you so much to our patrons. And thank you so much to you, our listeners who make this show possible. No, I I'm 100%. Yeah. yeah, I'm 100% with you. You know, for me, it's, it's kind of the same thing. And because i'm quick-witted and i get it from my dad um i always have to actively resist the urge to make jokes um and so what happens with me is if i'm scared of getting serious if i don't want to get serious my first temptation is to start making jokes so it's not just a coping mechanism it's also a self-defense mechanism yeah um and i have to like intentionally in conversation shut it off i've had people call me out on it before like they know they've they they know they've hit a soft spot if i make a joke about what they say um or if I start laughing as a result of whatever they say or something. like It's just the first thing that my mind does, and I have to constantly shut it off. Um, It's hard. like No joke, it's hard. And sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's definitely helpful. Sometimes it's not. I don't know, actually, Tony, if I told you about this. Maybe I thought I did, but maybe I didn't. Do you know that a couple years ago I had a testicular cancer scare? Did I tell you about that? All right. Hey, everyone, we are back with Absurdity, and I'm here with a, a good friend of mine that I met just a few years ago, AJ Valson. AJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself?
2: Definitely, man. Thank you for having me. Um AJ Valson here, born and raised in New York. Um, just uh, just a guy, just a pastor's kid who is also a musician, and by way of that, a creative. Um Currently, Doing a lot of um, entrepreneurial stuff in the works, um, solo music, uh, music in collaboration with other people. Just a lot of things that are taking shape right now. But um, I'm just a guy who really just enjoys good conversation. And that's why I kind of hopped up on this idea to chat it up with Ryan. We met um, at my alma mater, Union College, when he came and spoke and never really lost touch after that. So brought up opportunities like this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I am uh, really glad I was able to meet you and really glad we connected. Uh, And it's been kind of cool to see your journey as time has gone on. Um, Just uh, really, really cool to see the content you're producing and the projects you're involved with. Um, I know there's one there's one specific one that you're involved with uh, that I am excited to eventually be on myself. But why don't you tell us about the podcast that you host?
2: All right. Yeah, the podcast that I am currently hosting, it's called Unpacked. I put out a new episode every Sunday except for this past Sunday. Um, Probably double-headed it at some point, but it's Unpacked. It's hashtag Unpacked on, on social media, and just make sure you put a 2 after the A because A2 is a um, brand identity of mine. <clears throat> unpacked is basically a storytelling platform. Just taking people who I know, people that I don't know as well, and just hearing out their stories, and it's going to take shape into something more specific as time goes on. But I figured, why not take the opportunity to learn more about people and unpack this exclusively about the guest? So um, yeah, it's a storytelling platform.
1: Awesome, and uh, just so our listeners know, uh, a link to that links to that will be in the episode like the show notes. So you are, they'll be able to click it and find it immediately and subscribe. Um, so, and, and I've listened to a few of the episodes, um, really cool content and really cool stories being told there. So, and I'm, I'm always pumped at more, um, more podcasts being released, you know, um, and more, more content being produced that is meaningful and that actually has some value. I think that's really cool. So, um, so you're a PK, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a PK, but I'm not a, pastor's kid, I'm a principal's kid. Mm I was principal's kid of a Adventist high school. So my PK experience is much different and much more limited than your experience as a pastor's kid. And I think to some extent, every denomination uh, deals with, you know, pastor's kids. But um, why don't you share just kind of your experience growing up as a pastor's kid and, and, and the expectations put on you, what what life was like so that some of Some people, I I have some listeners that just are not even religious at all. So this would give them a good sneak peek into what that kind of looks like. Definitely. Have
2: you had any pastor's kids um, you've interviewed in the past?
1: Not specifically about being a pastor's kid.
2: Okay, definitely. All right. So it's funny because I wasn't actually a pastor's kid up until um, right about the time that I started college, which is about like 2010, 2011. However, my father has always been in ministry from the jump and um it wasn't until about 2010 11 that he made the career change to focus exclusively on ministry and he is a hospital chaplain in addition to that so he is like all in with the ministry and then like my mom is a nurse and she's also filipino so like just like a bunch of stereotypes that are f- fulfilled there and not necessarily in a bad way but in a very traditional sense by adventist standards um my experience with being a pastor's kid hasn't necessarily been um, bad for a lack of a better term, but I will say that it is always um, about how much value you put on the other side of the fence. I've never really been a big, um, I've never really been really big on like involving myself with the thoughts and feelings of others, but I do know, and I do understand the, um, moral importance and the ethical importance of being a pastor's kid because you are looked upon to a certain extent, and it's almost as if you can't sin as much or as you know quote unquote worse because you're a pastor's kid and that type of thing and so when I was growing up, um uh, my dad was involved in church board at the same church school that I was in, and as I started getting into um, becoming myself and becoming a teenager and things like that, I think that's like where it really hit me the most. Once I went to college, to union for five years, that's where or I was really more focused on my identity or whatever. But it was still something where it's kind of like people of the same culture when you walk into some area or you're having a conversation with somebody, you're like, oh, okay, like you're this type of person or you're from this background, they understand you. But as far as everybody else's, perspective, outside perspective is concerned. It really, it really just depends on how much weight you put into it. And I never put myself in a position to care as much, but, um, I am empathetic to people who do care more because it is important. So.
1: Yeah, no, I, um, I can definitely understand that. It's, It's interesting because I think being a pastor's kid, um, I think every kid is a reflection of their parents to some extent, um, but being a pastor's kid, that spotlight is a lot more intense. Yep. Um, because everything you do is a, a is a more direct reflection of your parents and a reflection on your parents. So there's a lot of pressure on you to perform and be and act a certain way yep. um, and meet a certain standard. And you're like, Psh, I don't even know if I believe this. Yeah, like,
2: <laughs> exactly. and that's what college was for. That's college was for self actualization, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it was so important for me to go through that college experience, not only so that I can come back home because I'm back with the family um, as I'm um, rebuilding uh, in terms of figuring out where life is going to take me. But as far as, you know, like just making sure that I knew what I was spending my weekends doing and um, my personal time doing as far as religion and um, my faith and spirituality go, because I can think of the times where my my first two years in college, I was not on good terms with my parents, but my, my father, especially. And I think part of that was because I was quote unquote, having identity crisis. I shared the same name as my father, which is why I go by AJ. So this is, this was something that was the, the issue of identity was more compounded. Does that make sense? Mm, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in addition to that, what you're saying is just, um, we were talk. what we're talking about now is just expectations of others and they are important. But again, like weighing this, weighing the balance of how important they are to you as a person, um, is where people get confused because again, I cannot stress this enough, how important it is to make sure that self-awareness comes first. And the, the, what I'm currently learning in my spiritual journey, um, my current season of spirituality is, um, how self-awareness and faith are so closely intertwined that if you put value in somebody else's um, thoughts and opinions of you more than your thoughts and feelings, then, you know, you lose your sense of purpose. So that's um, not only was it my, the fact that I shared my name with my father in terms of identity, but um, the fact that I had to like learn myself for five, six years away from home to be able to come back and now, kind of relearn how to like live in home again and things like that. And it's been a journey. Well, well living, but if I were to take, t- take a step back into time, I would definitely like just reinforce how important it is to not care so much about how, how people think as much as yeah. how you care about yourself.
1: No, that's, that's really good. I, um, 100% agree. Um, and it, and that's really weird because my entire job as a podcaster kind of revolves around what other people think of me. Um, but, yeah. but it's, but it's very true um having a sense of who you are understanding your own character your own personality um the way that you learn the way that you interact with people all of that is super vital and unfortunately and i think it gets harder um i think it gets harder the further into technology we get uh because the further connected we are online the more of our lives are lived out in the public sphere um no. and are and are exposed to constant um, judgments like me 20 years from now people are going to be digging up old episodes from like a podcast or old sermons that I preach and they're going to yep. say wow he's done a one a total 180 he used to be this way now he's this way How, why isn't he still that way um, yep. or vice versa and it's like well the difference is we're growing up in the public sphere so all of our mistakes and successes um, to some extent are broadcast and are free game to the public now granted I think to some extent, if we're content creators or, you know, creating music, whatever, whatever the content is, um, it's our choice to have the mistakes and the, and the embarrassing moments broadcast. I get that. Um, but I, it's, it is very hard, um, and, and, but incredibly vital to have a a sense of who you are. Um, and I think for you specifically, kind of as we, and, and we'll dive into this in a bit, um, having a sense of who you are when it comes to culture is incredibly difficult um, within Adventism and within Western Christianity. Um, And I don't mean that as a indictment against it. I like, I don't mean that to say like, how dare you? And I hate the church or anything like that. I just say like a reality of, of our roots um, is still present today. And a, and, and it's something that actually needs to, I think, be addressed. So I'm really glad that you approached me with this topic um, that, that we're going to discuss, but why don't you tell me kind of, um, over the last five years or so, um, and, and as you've been in college and out of college, what your experience with the Adventist church has been like, or with the church in general, um, just as an individual.
2: Mm. So as I had mentioned earlier, I'm a musician, I play piano, and that's, that's probably my, my largest involvement with the church by far. I still play for churches, um, not only Adventist churches now, but um, it used to be exclusively Adventist churches. And um, my first year in, I had a lot of, I felt like I stepped in my first year at Union thinking to myself, I want to get back into playing music. Not to, not to say that I was quitting, but in terms of playing in, in, in within the context of praise and worship, I want to get back into it, but I want to do it slowly because... I know how it is to feel um, to to for people to recognize your talents, but almost not understand that you have a life outside of that. Mm. And this happened towards the end of high school where, you know, you go to an academy, you go to a high school where every, the community's close knit, you're living around the people 24 seven, and your life is on public display, almost in the same sense that, living out your whole journey on social media is like you said, you've been following mine and it's funny that you mentioned what you said earlier about like old stuff, because I was thinking about athletes that I, that I follow because I follow sports as well, who will get old tweets dug up from like 2011 prior to the draft or prior to like a very crucial moment in the season, stuff like that. So it's like really ironic that you had mentioned that because it's true because now we have an archive of people's lives on public display. But going back to high school, towards the end of it, I just I just got really burnt out. Not because I didn't care about music ministry, because it's my life, but I just felt like the people element, the everybody who was um, who had access to me, wasn't necessarily taking into consideration how much time and effort it goes into having the skill yeah. of playing the piano, having the skill, of being a musician. Because not only do I read leeches, do I read music. But I also play by ear. So it's nice to have both skills, but it comes at the price of you being a very, very priced commodity to the point where it's just like uh, you get stressed out. So year one, I was like, let me chill out. But I slowly worked back into it. And through that, I established a high standard of of um, of music, because whenever I go to churches, this is the first thing that I look into. Other people go into churches looking for different things. And I try and go like as unbiased of a perspective as possible. But the bottom line is, if we're putting time and effort into our spirituality, especially in a corporate environment where people who may not even care about the gospel are going into, you have to, you have to ball out every single weekend. Um, And that sounds exhausting, but at the same time, you know, we have to be intentional about everything. So towards the end of, towards the end of college, I got to the point where I was, i um, blessed with the opportunity to go to nearby states and lead out praise teams. I'm talking Minnesota, Kansas, Missouri, uh, places like that, Colorado, um, really great opportunities. I wouldn't have gotten here in New York um, not because, not because I couldn't, but because, you know, different places bring about different opportunities. The other thing that I will say in addition to music um, that really kind of just shaped this whole spiritual journey was I was actually involved in, Committees dealing with young adult retention in the Seventh day Adventist Church. And this was about like 2014, 2015. And this was really important for me to do. I did social media and PR for it because that's what I ended up graduating with from union and later NYU. And this was so important for me to do because I realized how important it was to understand um what exactly the pulse is of. Demographic, the 18 to 29 demographic in the church, where are they right now? Where are they going? And, um, first and foremost, have empathy for that, and then secondly, figure out what can be done for it. I have some really great friends who were involved in this committee, and we basically had two representatives show up from all of our sister schools from the U.S. and Canada, except for like two schools and we came together for a weekend we had a bunch of speakers we had a bunch of breakout sessions and came up with a document and proposed it to the nad and um this is um i can't remember exactly what happened after that but i can tell you that the reason why we are where we are with church is and i'm kind of like going off a little bit topic here but i think it's just the prove a point is um I think back to GC in San Antonio, 2015, and I was there recruiting for union, really great opportunity. And I just saw um, a a gross misrepresentation of this 18 to 29 uh, age bracket. And when we voted on issues such as women's ordination, which was like everybody kind of broke out and showed up for, and not a lot of people showed up to the other issues, it kind of just shows the lack of priorities that we have, But at the same time, all these experiences collectively, like I took it as something that was so important for me to kind of continue and build as I become trying to become a better musician, trying to become a better um, young adult in the church and representative of the ministry and um, take it as positive energy moving forward, not dwelling on what had happened, but using that as a really good reflection to make the next opportunity experience better.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I definitely understand that. I And I agree with that. I, I don't think a lot of people showed out to, and I, I'm guilty of that too. I think, um, 2015, 2014 and 15 were really the years that I started to, um, really take my involvement with Adventism seriously, if that makes sense. Like I really wanted to know what was going on in the world. I really wanted to know what was happening and stay connected. Um, and, um, women's ordination was the hot button issue that year. So, um, that was the one I, I connected with, um, and I think that year was the year that a lot of other young adults started to plug in too, because they were angry at the results of that vote. Um, right. So I it's it is interesting how grossly misrepresented we were and how in the people that did represent us, um, so to speak, um, they spoke in a very holistic way as if like the way that they spoke sounded as if all the young adults had gotten together and voted for them to represent us when like no that's never what happened yeah but, it's not, it's but not you, true you you heard things like i'm i speak for for most young adults when i say this or i speak and i and i'm like no <laughs> no you don't this is not true yeah this that, is not true um it, even in, and and i'm not saying they shouldn't have been there i'm just saying the rhetoric and the way that it was presented um became uh was was misleading it it, it gave a false representation of what was going on um, and I think what happened there, I brought this up actually just like three episodes ago, um, and uh, this will this will this will be our segue into into our conversation. Uh, but decades worth of ethnocentrism in Adventism, um, I think, is what resulted in a no vote in San Antonio. Um, I I think there are several delegates who did vote out of their biblical conscience. Conscience. I think there are people that voted out of uh, for other reasons. Don't get me wrong, but um, by and large, I I do think that that vote um, came out as a no because of decades worth, actually, really, all of Adventism's history um, of it being birthed in Western culture, uh, growing in Western culture, and then spreading out, and then Western culture, um, specifically Western white culture, uh, telling other Adventists how to express their adventism right this is why this is this is a major part of why you have cultures in very very hot tropical climates showing up to church in suit and tie um or long dresses because that's how they were told this is this is the way that you dress up for church this is sabbath best um or sunday best if if um if someone is not adventist out there listening to this um Right. Like, this is the way that you express. This is the way that we do this. This is what this looks like. Um, when in reality, Christianity, Adventism should be not countercultural, but should should um, kind of soar over it. Um, in other words, it should be able to reach into and seep into any kind of culture. And yes, absolutely every culture, there are certain aspects of every culture that needs to kind of submit to Christianity, but there's a reason Christianity can be so beautiful across so many different expressions and cultures and ways of life. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, once, once the, once Africa and South America finally had um, more delegates showing up to GC than North America and Europe, (laughs) uh, suddenly the game has changed. Yeah. And now, now Western civilization doesn't get to tell them what to do. Um, I think the South American division is on track that by 2020 they will have a greater budget than the NAD will in the first in in the first time of in Adventist history. Um, they will have more money coming in, and pretty much Adventism is is growing super fast in so many other countries. Not in, not in the NAD, it's not growing as fast. Um, so you've got um, so that that superiority factor, that supremacy factor, um, is becoming um, more and more exposed as other cultures are getting a more and more of a voice. Um, and, and I find that really fascinating. And I find that, a, that conversation needs to happen. Like I, the fact that we're not talking about that more shocks me. Um, right. and, but at the same time, it doesn't because the supremacy doesn't want to let go. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your experience with, with ethnocentrism and, and, um, kind of what your experience has been with race, even in, in the Adventist
2: church so when i when i use this term ethnocentrism to me it it means like you you had just mentioned it like a like a supremacy like a superiority complex i feel like it's really just what it is and i think it's so contradictory to what the gospel actually preaches which is humility um i get that you know, we talked about the whole Sabbath best thing in terms of, or Sunday best in terms of dress and things like that. I think having a standard for dress is a, is is appropriate. But um, one thing that I noticed is um, within within that whole conversation, there is a lack of adaptability within the SDA culture that really that really bothers me. And within the grand scheme of ethnocentrism within the sda church it's something to be talked about because whether we like it or not for anybody that's listening the world is going to keep changing and um for better and for worse um and i think we tend to dwell on the fact that it's changing and we like to dwell on the fact that it's changing for worse like there's plenty of things like i get it there's plenty of things to complain about there's a lot there's a lot of school shootings going on right now. That's like the big thing. And it's really unfortunate. And I have like, I've, I've, it's terrible seeing that news all the time. And I get, I totally get it. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about validation on social media and how we have our lives on blast for everybody to see. And it's unfortunate that, you know, the, we have conditions ourselves to go through the screen to look through um, and see how how worthy we are based on our engagement and things like that and it's actually funny because i just pulled up this tweet that i retweeted a couple of weeks ago it says i'm going to read it real fast kind of like proves the point almost all americans own a smartphone or computer each device contains the library of alexandria the sum total of all world knowledge you can learn anything why don't you You're too busy tracking social status. You're too enthralled by imagery. Your evolution can't resist. And it's a little bit off topic and it's a little bit from a very different perspective. But I kind of brought it up to prove a point that we're spending so much time focusing on issues that don't need to be worried about. And there are so many bigger issues that are being ignored. So when it comes back to like ethnocentrism, I think of all the things that are going on that aren't necessarily great, but in spite of that, we still have the audacity as a group of believers to talk to other um, people of faith, be it Muslim, be it Latter-day Saints, be it Mormon, be it whoever, and like an Adventist, Adventist that I know and you appreciate. And we almost talk to them as if like they're they they don't know any better, like they're dumb. And I think that's a wrong way about going about it. I think when it comes to just talking to other individuals of different faiths, what I've learned and I've met a lot of people like this, like I just hung out with somebody who's observing Ramadan right now because that friend of mine is Muslim, just as an example. And I have another example where I have some um, friends who are non-denominational who are you know, trying to figure out, like, why I observe on Saturday instead of Sunday. Like, I, it's these experiences happen, and I feel like they're happening to me to kind of prove a point where I need to listen with my ears instead of my mouth. And I think that too many times when we Adventists, like, even though we, quote-unquote, claim to know the truth, and of course, I do believe that as well, doctrinally, we have it all, we have it, quote-unquote, right, you know, subjectively in our mm-hmm. eyes. Um, culturally, we get it all wrong because we're spending too much time judging other people. And as far as race goes, I think um, this—it's race within Adventist Church for me was never necessarily an issue like you would think it is. But I think the issue that really presides is just we're spending too much time um, focusing on different styles of worship and how everybody can feel a certain type of way instead of being a lot more corporate with our worship. Like there's like there's uh there's black church and then there's white church, there's 70s church and then there's you know, church for Koreans and things like that. And like it's cool because you want to feel you want to feel relevant within a certain context. But at the same time, God didn't call us to this world to feel comfortable behind um behind the behind the praise band of a black church. Like he called it called us to be kind of uncomfortable preaching the ministry to people um, out on the street that don't have homes, and at the same, in the same light, going to a church that might not be the style that you like, but you're going there anyways because you can provide the perspective that somebody else needs to understand that being ethnocentric about Seventh Day Adventism, your faith in general is not the answer. Humility is because w- what I see ethnocentrism as, it's just, it's just, um, it's just pride. I think it's pride in a very, is it, it's we've. It's pride masquerading, or it's fear masquerading as pride.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, um, that's actually really good, and I think, I think ethnocentrism, um, this idea of 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 who I am, my culture, or 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 my um, my identity is superior to yours. Um, I've I've typically filtered it through the lens of of race because I mean the term itself lends itself there, but I think that underpins um and, and i and i think it speaks to the idea of adventist exceptionalism is actually how i would term what you've described right. um this idea that we are exceptional um it's it's happened with remnant theology um this idea that that we are god's chosen people for the end times which is bogus because revelation does not speak about a denomination it speaks about a people um, mm-hmm. the people who very, follow very, god like yeah. i it is not limited to one denomination at all but i i, I um we focus so much on on us having it right that we've lost the or not lost but we are losing the ability to speak in a world where um it, to speak in a world that doesn't accept truth as a absolute but speaks it as a relative and accepts it as a relative um and it's not that suddenly adventist truth is re- adventist truth is relative um it's that um you must be willing to communicate Hum, uh, in humility, you must be willing to listen and talk and um, exactly. give respect give the same amount of respect to someone else 's beliefs that that you 're asking them to give to you exactly. um, even if you don 't believe that um, but adventist uh, adventist exceptionalism i think is is a huge issue um, because it, it affects our relevancy it affects our ability to communicate the message that we 're trying to preach, which I think is a great message. Um, which is you know, return, it was waiting for Jesus's second coming, pronouncing that he's coming back soon and 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 um living in such a way that reflects that expectation and that hope. like I think that's a beautiful message um yeah, but we we I have shoot a story ourselves the
2: foot. That just yeah, go yeah ahead. I have a story that just kind of like makes this case in point and like these are the t- these are the types of stories that make people never come back inside the church. and I know that for everybody that's listening, um there are, going to be times or there already have been times where you meet or you meet an individual or you go through an experience that never make, wants to make you come back. And I have one that kind of just proves this. And it's going to kind of segue into like what um, what I learned from it. So I was in high school and we did a band tour uh, in, um, <clears throat> uh, down south in the States. And I was preaching a sermon, which was which is very rare for me. And um, as I'm finishing preaching the sermon, I'm not necessarily ready. Part of it is, you know, kind of out of my comfort zone. But another part of it is just, you know, I'm, I'm not like I wasn't. Yeah, I just it just didn't feel like I was like, yeah, like that felt good type thing. Um, but, you know, I was like 16. So it was just a completely different time. Anyways. So as I got finished, you know, there it wasn't the best. Again, it wasn't the best sermon, but I really tried to put my best foot forward and as I finished this sermon an older gentleman literally stood up he's not my race he literally stood up and dissected what was quote-unquote wrong with my sermon over the next 20 to 30 seconds and I kind of just like stood there and blinked and I looked at my supervisor and my supervisor just kind of looked at me and he was just like you know just just, just play cool whatever and um I just like sat down and it was funny because like when we were got back on the bus and we were heading back um my same supervisor kind of just like gave me quote-unquote daps for just you know kind of holding my composure and not like doing anything that type of thing but like the whole experience was just super bizarre and every now and then I'll remember stuff like that and these are the experiences that unfortunately push people away but um, I learned to not look at it and put it past the individual. Like I actually don't feel, I don't feel any type of way for that particular individual um, because I know where that comes from. I know that it comes from of uh, pride or fear masquerading as pride. And I think I sent you this link a couple of weeks ago. It's called, it's a sermon series called church sucks out of a, out of transformation church based in Oklahoma. Yeah. And it, Really good sermon series. Um, Were you able to listen to it? Yes or no?
1: Uh, I have not been able to listen to it quite
2: yet. Okay. So I finally got through it this past weekend and it's a three-part sermon series. You can look it up. If you look up Church Sucks on YouTube for anybody who's listening, you're bound to find it it pretty quickly. And I love it because, you know, keep in mind, this is not an Adventist church. This is a non-denominational church based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, Really great pastor. I think his name is Mike, Pastor Mike. Um, really, just breaks it down to just a human issue, and he talks about all the steps that all the all the steps that happen in order for an individual to, you know, um, meet and experience God. But uh, one of the things that he says in like I think part two or part three of the sermon series, he says that you see. Um, you don't see God first, like you see the person first. It's like the person and then like the church and then like so on and so forth until Jesus. And then Jesus is the one that is, um, is the one that can communicate with God, that type of thing. And so people who don't experience, um, who don't live a life of active faith, they go and meet individuals who profess this faith. And if they present it in such a way, or if they have experiences similar to mine, God forbid worse, um, it pushes them away for pretty much ever. And it kind of brings me to like the first part of the sermon series where Pastor Mike talks about um, what he calls reverse church. And one of the points that he makes in creating reverse church, because church as seen by the world is what I like to call a dirty word. Anything dealing with church uh, religion, like it's a dirty word and people hear it. People tense up. People want nothing to do with it because as he says, we're talking about the organi- organization and not the organism, because when the organism does something that on behalf of the organization, the individual that is experiencing this um, negative event associated, associated with the organization and wants nothing to do with it. And it's it's really unfortunate. But what I what I've learned through all of this is, to again, like I said before, I don't I've never found any value in dwelling. I think that as whether you're whether you're listening and you're um, a person of faith or not. It's just a general rule of humanity or a general idea for humanity, rather dwelling accomplishes nothing but more dwelling and it puts you into this negative feedback loop. And it is it just doesn't put you in the position to push forward and see how can I get over this and how can I, um, you know, improve my quality of life.
1: Yeah, no, no, I, I um, definitely agree with that. And I think there are experiences that we have based on the fact that I think I'm right and I know you're wrong because I think I'm right um, that do push people away. You know, I find it, um, I'm going to read this. So we're recording this May 24, um, just for anyone who's listening to this, because this, I think this is going to release in April, uh, or not April, psh, June. <laughs> I meant June. Um, I'm not a time traveler. But Jen Hatmaker, uh, who is a Christian kind of uh, author and speaker, um, she she actually tweeted today because the, uh, the Pew uh, Pew did a uh, did a research poll a poll saying um, if asking Americans if the U.S. had a responsibility to accept refugees and no group racial by age, religious or political was less supportive of that idea than white evangelical Protestants. Now, Jen Hatmaker is evangelical, so not so she, she associates with evangelical Christianity, not Adventism. But she said, and I, I love this, this, this quote, she said, The amount of repentance necessary to ever regain one ounce of credibility as an evangelical community is just staggering. Look to our ditches, women, refugees, people of color, LGBTQ folks, immigrants, and the poor. These are supposed to be our charges. Instead, they are our victims. And what I find so interesting about this tweet, um, especially when it comes to Adventism, Adventism likes to speak as the evangelical world is Babylon, right? Um, they've abandoned some of the commandments. They've abandoned some, some ways to properly be a Christian. And so we, we kind of pulled away from them. Um, we still identify as Protestant and Christian, just not the same expression of that. Um, and yet I see those same exact ditches in Adventism. And in many ways, we've fallen for those same traps. And I would add, especially in relation to the story that you just shared, that um, when it comes to our youth, when it comes to our young adults, they're also in our charge. And we, for some reason, have projected this expectation that they have to get it right from the beginning. There's no room for failure. Um, When in reality... Every single one of us is still growing and figuring this out. Like, I've never once on this podcast claimed to, like, be the master of knowledge on any or the expert in knowledge on any on any subject. Yet I guarantee you there's someone who wants to write in saying, like, how dare you speak on this or whatever. I man, I even had a youth, uh, a teenager speak in one of my churches. He'd just become a Christian a year ago. He preached. He'd never known how to preach a sermon. I let him do it on his own to kind of sink a swim thing. Um I was still present and defended him but he he preached using some Greek philosophy and things like that and one of my members freaked out about it. And I'm like, "Why? Your your faith is fine." <laughs> like like him speaking and you speaking was more important for your faith and your development as a disciple than it was for the people sitting down. I would argue that any youth or young adult that is that is preaching that hasn't Really found the fullness of their identity in Christ. Fully found their calling in, uh, in, in or embrace their calling as a follower of Jesus. Like, like their their involvement in ministry is more important um, to faith than your listening to it. Um, and, and so most of the most of my members, man, they forget sermons the week after I preach them. So why why are we putting all this pressure on people? Um, to be perfect off the get go. When in reality we should be helping them grow and embrace whatever calling God has on their life.
2: Um spirituality is so personalized. I think people lose sight of that because they want to project their ideas and opinions on them, especially if it's family. And I I get it, I respect it. I run into this thing on a very constant basis, but at the end of the day, you know, you can't you can't live and run somebody else's life for them. You can only be the light that you feel you're called to be and let and let, let let life run its course, you know, for better or for worse. And we don't want to see it go for worse because we want it to be better, but we let our pride get in the way if we want it to be for the better and it becomes worse and it just becomes this feedback loop of um of pride. Well, and I think I
1: think too we've overstepped our bounds in assuming consent where consent has not been given. So one, exactly. of my, one of my biggest pet peeves is people who try to speak into my life um, or into an area of my life that I have not given them permission to speak to. So if someone mm-hmm. wants to tell me like, how I should mourn my dad's death, like you don't get to do that unless I've asked for your advice. Like No right. one gets to speak into that part of my life, right? So when it comes to church, however, we, we've somehow assumed that because we're all a part of Christianity or we're all a part of Adventism, um, suddenly now that means that I'm accountable to um, every Christian out there or every Adventist out there, and they all have equal right to speak into my life. But that's not true. Now, yes, I am Adventist, and, and I do have some accountability to the greater church at large. Um, but that only goes so far as, on an interpersonal level, who I have given permission to speak into my life. And if I have not given you permission to speak into my life, then for you to come and approach me and tell me I'm doing something wrong when I don't know you, I don't know the way you communicate, I don't know, um, I could take what you're saying and you could be saying it with the most well-intentioned um, words and and tone and body language possible. And mm-hmm. I could still hear it the wrong way because there's no relationship there. And right. permission and consent is always given in the context of a relationship, not nope. simply belonging to the same group. So I think I think it's pride and I think we've overstepped our bounds in regards to um, in regards to relational consent. I I think those two things have been huge in, in our idea that we are better or we have the right to speak over someone else.
2: Mm -hmm. I've been involved with a non-denominational church for a while. I've been volunteering there doing music and some other different things. And, you know, it's just, it's our, it's, it's kind of proven to me what I already know and that the issues that exist within also exist outside. And it just really comes to human issue i mean it's i've been i've been rocking with them for a few months and i like what they do in some aspects and other aspects you know i'm not crazy about but this is every situation right so i like i take that and i look and i see like even though these people might not observe the same times that i do they might not have the same diet as i have they're still people yeah and i treat them as such and I still show face because I see the value and importance in that. And it's actually led to the conversations about tell me more about why you do this in a certain way. And it's this, and like I, I get so happy when this happens because it just, it's for me, like I hear about the opposite happening. I, I, I hear people getting coerced in the conversations that they don't want to have. As you said, if you don't establish that relationship, which I have been doing with this particular With this particular uh, multi-campus church, then there's no there's no basis for me to even begin to have conversations about who I am and what I believe, and it really just took a lot of me setting my pride aside. I went there with the intention of doing something in particular and doing it within a specific timeline, and I was told to wait. And at first, I was like, okay, you know, I don't really want to wait to be able to you know, play with you guys, because that's what I wanted to do. I want to get involved musically. And, um, but they, they told me to wait and they told me to integrate. And so that's what I did. And it's really paid off because I just see myself connecting with people on a human level. And it's not something that I'm doing seemingly out of obligation. And when I take time to step back, it's almost as if I'm not showing these people attention because they're human and humans and people too. And we all need that love and appreciation. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I have some Muslim friends, who feel the same way about what's going on in the world, um, especially like on the political landscape within America, what's going on right now, they feel that just as strongly as I do. So it is not, I should not talk to them because they believe a certain, they they have different beliefs and um, speak down on them for it because they hurt. They feel pain in the same way that I do as humans, not necessarily like, person to person, but they feel the pain in the same way. I do. They feel joy in the same way as I do. And if we were to if we were able to take that and love like Jesus did, Jesus, Jesus had task collectors as his disciples. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. You know what I'm saying? Like, um and Jesus hung out with somebody who eventually got him killed. Um I always remind people of that because I think people forget about that. I think people only remember about these particular details when they want to recall a specific story. But I don't think people understand the weight of having people in your circle who aren't quote unquote good people, but it just shows the humanity that we live in this world. And the same types of shady people that happened that, that exist 2000 years ago are still here today. And guess what? We still have to love them as people do.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, and I really appreciate your perspective here, too and kind of the thoughts you've shared because you you've had a, a different experience than I have had, um, mm-hmm. period. Like just across the board, um, and so I find and I find this this i this idea of exceptionalism interesting because I think it's it's it's, it's infiltrated every aspect of culture. Every culture uh, tends to and and I get this. It is naturally human to every culture thinks within its own kind of vacuum. Um, it's really hard to think from the perspective of a culture that you do not identify with or belong to, or even have never interacted with. Like I get that. Um, but let me, I mean, so we've got this problem. What, what, how do you think we fix it? What do you think we do about it?
2: I was actually just about to say that because, um, like, like you were kind of saying earlier, we've kind of just, we, we default to the negativity, but we default to the negativity sometimes not because we want to, but because it's just the way that we are. And we have to, we have to make an active effort day in and day out to, to fight against it. Um, I recently got a gym membership. And prior to that, um, I had been really wanting to be able to fit it within my budget. And I'm saying this because, there are day there, even though I was very excited to get one. And, you know, it's it's a gym that just got built not too far from home. So I can walk if I need to, even though there are all these things that are going for me. The motivation to exercise as opposed to binge watch Netflix, which is what I did today. I'll be transparent <laughs> is I mean, to be fair, it is my rest day and I go back tomorrow because you shouldn't work out consecutive days if you're if you're doing weight training. Um you should not like it's it's still I still have the inclination to be lazy, even though I have this thing going on. Mm. So what does that mean? I have to take steps and remove things and remove distractions from my life in order to um, in order to maximize my productivity. So on the off days, such as today. I spoken into existence as i did just now it's going to be archived forever so we can look at this in 2025 <laughs> and be like okay aj used to watch netflix back in the day you know we can chastise him for that and see that's the problem like you see like that train of thought that i just went to is something that we always mentally go through because we're always thinking about somebody else we're always involving ourselves in somebody else's lives we're always thinking about the negative where we need to we need to think about where we want to be in terms of um in terms of a high quality of life and reverse engineer that if it includes removing friends or limiting the time you spend with friends that that dwell because i can guarantee you right now that everybody that's listening to this has at least two or three friends that they either engage with or know of that spend time just talking about other people's problems Or And or they consume media outlets that talk about people's problems. You walk to check out your things in Walmart and right next to where all the candy and gum is, you have tabloids talking about people's problems. And we have so much stacked up against us as humans. But at the same time, this is not an excuse for us to be like, well, you know, I'm only going to be living for so long anyway, or, oh, I already have this chronic condition. So there's no point in me. Um, taking care of my body or, oh, you know, um, such, such and such happened to me a while. My girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with me. So I'm, you know, I might as well just continue to wallow in uh, self-pity and nihilism. No, like we still need to keep pushing forward because you think about the conditions that Jesus was born in, you know, Jesus w- was born to somebody um, he was born to a, a virgin mother. And you think about the criticism that happened there. He was on the run at an early age. And when he got into his three years of ministry, he still had to like, even though he defied the people who were undermining him to show that he was here to save souls, he still had to think about his livelihood because there were people out there to get him. And in spite of all of that, he did not for a, he did not for a second say, "Oh, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna kind of like throw this out." Um, you know, God, I tried, but I think I'm gonna go back up to heaven. You know, I'm kind of done with these people. No, he, said, like, he, he literally said, like, um, let this thing pass from me, not as I will, but as you will. We have to recognize that, you know, even if you're struggling with believing that there's a higher power, it should not be hard for you to struggle with the fact that there are negative forces in your life trying to choke out the positivity that remains. And we have to go about it every day and do it. And here's the here's my punchline for this whole thing. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a big picture guy. And especially when you are trying to do entrepreneurial things, um, it's very easy to get caught up in what's going to happen as opposed to what's happening right now. And you got to put everything in this proper box at the end of the day. Today is today. This moment is this moment. I'm on a surgery right now and I'm thinking about what's going to happen before I go to sleep and how I can prepare for tomorrow today. If tomorrow comes, if today is my last day, I have to be comfortable in the fact knowing that I put forth my best effort. And if I'm not comfortable in the fact that I put forth my best effort, I need to reconcile with that and stop avoiding it and just focus on the present. I think we spend so much time worrying about the future and we worry so much about the negativity and what could go wrong as opposed to the present and what could go right. We grow up wanting to learn how to drive, wanting to get married, wanting to have kids, wanting to retire. We're wanting to do something that's happened tomorrow instead of being content with what's happening today. And I think getting down to that issue for anybody who's listening, finding that unlock is going to be so crucial, but it has to come on your terms and your terms alone. It's not going to happen overnight, but that process is going to happen over time and think, and you're going to have to be honest with yourself. Yeah, you, no,
1: I I'm with you. Um, and it's, it's funny though. Um, because my kind of solution to this too is, is a little bit different. Um, in that, um, Um, so you've talked about identifying the negatives in your life and, and, and making sure that you're surrounding yourself with kind of positive forces in your life, uh, friendships, relationships, whatever. Um, my, my thing is then, um, and you've got a balance between what, what you said and what I'm about to say, which is look for the good in everyone. Um, this doesn't mean keep someone in your life who is toxic and leeching from you or hurting you or causing, or, or, or not helping you become the best person that you were called to be. Um, But it means that when you're talking with someone that you know you don't agree with, when you talk with someone who, um, when you're coming in with different ideologies, whether it's political, religious, social, cultural, whatever, um, coming in with looking for the good in someone. I think one of the things we do, Facebook has taught us to do this too, um, is whenever we're in a discussion with someone, we always try to pick out the one line that we know we can attack, and it's like the rest of their comment doesn't exist. This happens to me all the time. I'll be in a discussion. I'll say something, and someone will focus on one tiny line, and they'll—it's like the rest of my comment doesn't exist, and that's all I right. said. Um, and one of the things that changed online discussions for me totally was me doing exactly the opposite um, and looking for the good in someone's argument, even if it was someone I disagreed with, um, right. and acknowledging and appreciating and respecting um, their their contribute their positive contribution to the conversation. Um, I think if we if we looked for the good. In um, other people, and I think it's Philippians that, that says. I think it's Philippians two that says, "Count, um, count one another as better than yourselves, or count one uh, count one another as more than yourselves." I think that's huge, um, and it's the exact opposite. It is humility. It's it's laying your pride aside and saying, "Look, I'm coming into this this conversation asking, how can I serve you and be there for you and help you grow with who you are trying to be or who you're called to be," and um, that's different and it's intentional. So when, when that guy heard you preach and he disagreed with you, instead of saying, okay, how do I need to go in and, and fix this? Instead of instead it's saying, hey, um, how can I help this kid grow in his faith, and what would be the best way possible um, to interact with him after this sermon? Um, even right. if it was full of a million heresies, there, no, one, no one in that church decided that day that there weren't going to be a Christian anymore or believe anymore because of your, ser- because of your sermon. Um, I I I don't have any problem saying that with confidence. Um right. but um there are people who um think it's their duty to protect everyone else and in reality their duty is to um be a disciple of Jesus. Um right. the the lion of Judah can protect itself. Uh that's so um
2: it's but, funny because I one one important aspect of the story that I forgot to mention, I don't know why, but there were a number of people, members of the church, who came up to me apologizing on this man's behalf because he quote-unquote had done it before. Now, obviously, like, there's no, there's no indication as to, like, where this is, but I will say this, I will kind of, like, harp on this a little bit. There are, there are a lot of church cultures um, by church, like, location wise not, like, this Seventh-day Adventist church, but there are a lot of church cultures where a lot of this stuff goes on and people have identified the problem, but um, there's not anything that's necessarily being done. And I'm not saying that you got to like kick this person out or whatever, but, you know, this is just something as like a food for thought. If an individual like this is doing, is Interrupting people mid sermon and saying th- his, saying his perspective on there um, like as he so wishes. and people are just saying they're accepting it. It just it's kind of telling about about a lot of the problems that we want to fix, but we're not taking initiative to fix. Now this is you know, this might go into something completely different, but I think it's really just um, important to what I had said earlier, kind of referencing what I had said earlier, there are sometimes some individuals within your culture that really, that they need to like really speak to the problems that they're bringing to the table, as opposed to like the, the, the light that they could be. And, you know, it was just really interesting having, like I can't even begin to count how many people like I'm trying to eat my potluck and people are coming up to me and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm just like, I'm just trying to like leave because I wasn't necessarily traumatized. It was just weird. Yeah, absolutely. But like, and, yeah. But in hindsight, I'm just like, so much of this happens, but we, we sit on our hands and we want the problems to go away passively, but we don't actively take an effort in fixing them.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, but I, I do think being intentional about, kind of who you surround yourself with I think being intentional about lifting other people up um and, and setting your pride aside I think those are those are two great ways to tackle exceptionalism to tackle ethnocentrism um I think those are huge um and I do think a willingness to admit that when you're wrong like and and, and to talk about and confront um I think uh, the the phrase that it, it comes even before us is uh take your lumps uh that's when you kind of get in trouble or, or you say something wrong and you just gotta face the face the music take the consequences and accept them um that when we've gotten something wrong we need to just say hey yeah we were wrong and these are the steps we're going to take to fix this and make it right. right um but that's um i think this is this is obviously mo- much bigger of a of a topic that, than what we can talk about in an hour and our time is about up Um, but AJ, thank you so much for coming on, man. Do you have any final thoughts, anything you want to leave listeners with before we uh, kind of take off?
2: Definitely. Um, I think, well, we, we hit on a lot of topics and I know that there was a lot of just like big chunks where I was just kind of going through everything, but there's, if, if, if there's anything that there wasn't, there wasn't anything that anybody connected with, um, throughout this time with Ryan, I think considering consider this like i've I've been a really big fan of kind of just this whole theme of you are the sum of the people that you spend time with like it's it's so it's so real and i think part of the reason why people are in situations um in situations that they're in for better and for worse whether you're succeeding in life or whether you're like really struggling is really because of who you spend time with i don't think that everything can be done alone with like very minimal people involved in your life. I do believe that you get to, you get through teenage years, you get through adolescence, you get through um, the thirties and the forties and the fifties based on who you spend time with. And you don't make it based on who you spend time with. And so I think a charge, a charge in a sense for those who are listening is to, like, take time of like, take time to inventory who you're spending time with and I'm not suggesting cutting anybody off, but maybe it might be the time to, but if anything, limiting the amount of time that you spent with people who, you know, for a fact, if you're honest with yourself are hurting you um, over, over the holiday I had of um, I had spent time in um, on family vacation. And prior to that, I probably had like the worst December i had ever had. And the reason why I had this bad December part of it was things that were out of control, um, health with family members and things of that nature. But the other part of it was because of people that I was spending time with that I allowed in my circle that really spoke a little bit too much contrary to what I believed in my ear. Mm. And I think that some of the things again are out of your control in life. Um, the bad situations, Can happen to good people, unfortunately. But I think there's a lot of self-sabotage that goes on with humanity. And I'm guilty of that as well. And I'm I'm definitely far removed from the self-sabotage that I had from December, much less from a year ago, because that's about the time that I moved back. But I'm really just encouraging everybody, this might be the moment that you really just take the time to think to yourself. What can I do to improve the quality of life around me? I think it starts with the people that you spend time with or the people that you don't spend time with because you're not hanging out with anybody that's really pushing you forward. And it's really a testament to why I'm on this podcast anyways, because it was one night I was I don't remember how it necessarily happened, but I had some mutual friends with Ryan and we got to talking. And next thing you know, we're at a um, chicken fingers joint and we're just getting to know each other. And here we are. And I think, you know, Ryan had mentioned how he had followed my journey over this, over these years. I have as well. And even though we've only seen each other on that particular day, a couple of years ago, um, keeping quality people around, even though you might not see them all the time is so important. And I, in contrast to what happened to me this past December, it's the difference maker. And it truly is the difference maker for, anything that goes on in your life to improve in quality. So think about the people that you're spending time with for better or for worse and make a commitment to act on it.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And I appreciate that compliment. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That was an awesome night too. Um, I yes. really enjoyed my time at, at union Um, and uh, it was, it was a really cool, I actually just had to retire last week, the water bottle that they gave me, um, i 've been using it daily since then it. from 2015 and what fifteen to 15, yeah. to now two thousand and eighteen it 's finally retired as of like last week, but I love that water bottle um but yeah no i um i couldn 't agree more with you, man. Thank you so much for coming on um and you 're always welcome uh to be a recurring guest whenever you want to come on, just hit me up and let me know. Uh, All right, man. Sounds good. But uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, all of the normal podcatching apps. We also have a Patreon if you want to support this financially with a monthly donation. Uh, You'll also get a reward like a t-shirt, mug, or special Patreon-only content that is coming. uh, Patreon.com slash Absurdity Podcast. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave a review. And lastly but not least, um, you can head over to our website, theabsurdity.org. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack Life, Culture, Theology.